This is the Bible Book Club, and we're in the book of Deuteronomy. Welcome Welcome to the club. Well, I was like you, Susan, and I learned last episode for the first time that many call Deuteronomy the gospel according to Moses because it provides the foundation for the Old Testament the way that the book of Romans often called the gospel according to Paul. And that's the theological foundations for the New Testament. That was one of my Bible benders from last episode. And my other one was that this is Jesus's favorite book. Mm. And or we think it is because he quoted it so much. Well, right. It was his favorite book to quote. Right. It was his best defense against the enemy. And that means it should be our best defense too sometimes. Yeah. If it mattered to Jesus, it should matter to us. Yeah. And I love that the theme verse is still relevant today. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. And so to sum up Deuteronomy, it is the story of Moses's final words to encourage the next generation to be faithful to God. And also for me, it is that if God make a promise to you, even if you haven't seen Mm. it happen as quickly as you hoped, his promises he keeps. And so do what Moses is doing for the Israelites. Mm -hmm. Remind yourself about that promise. Remind yourself about the things he's done for you, for your family, for people that you know in the past, and then press on in obedience so that he can then bless you with that promise. And be patient. Yeah. It's God's time, not yours. All right. So last episode was chapter one. Moses began his first sermon to the Israelites. This is the beginning of his farewell speech, which is kind of sad. The final Mm. words of a father to his beloved children. God had multiplied them as promised to Abraham, and he wanted to give them the promised land. They had a chance to live in the promised land 40 years ago, but they blew it by disobeying. And so they needed to remember that disobedience leads to defeat. The first sermon is going to be continued in this chapter. Moses wants them to remember more. He wants them to remember what God can do for them. Toward the end of Israel's 38 years of wandering, the Israelites began to trek back to the promised land. But rather than entering Canaan from the south, just like um, last time at Kadesh Barnea, God directed them further north and to the east side of Canaan. The problem was that to get to the northeast, the Israelites had to pass through the land of the Edomites, Moabites, and Ammonites. Now, these people were not friendly to Israel, but they were relatives. And because of that, God told Israel not to fight them. The relationship of Edom, Moab, and Ammon to Israel was covered in season one of Bible Book Club in the book of Genesis. But here is the ancestry summary. The Moabites and Ammonites are the descendants of Lot. Lot was the much-loved nephew of Abraham. And Abraham, as we know, was also the grandfather of Jacob and Esau. Now, the Edomites descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12 sons who became these 12 tribes of Israel. Well, why does it matter who these people are? Fast forward to today. Here are a few Bible benders about whom these people became 
and what their relationship has become. Okay, so here's the first one. Abraham is the father of three major religions today. Judaism, we know about, and Christianity, as documented in the Old and New Testament of the Bible. Abraham's the father of both of those. But also Islam, because Ishmael, Abraham's first son through Hagar, is the patriarch of Islam. Now, another present-day fact is that the same territory that was inhabited by the Edomites, Moabites, and Ammonites, those other relatives, thousands of years ago, is currently inhabited by the Jordanians and Egyptians. Thousands of years ago, God told Israel not to fight with these people, their relatives. And today, they again have an agreement not to fight. This has to be a God thing. Israel signed a treaty with Egypt in 1979, and Israel's treaty with Jordan was signed in 1994. And lastly, just recently in 2020, Israel agreed not to fight with the descendants of that other relative of Abraham's, his first son, Ishmael. Remember, Abraham's son, Ishmael, is the patriarch of of Islam, the United Arab Emirates, whose official religion is Islam, became the third country to sign a peace agreement with Israel. So the Arabs, the descendants of Abraham's son Ishmael, have a peace treaty with the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham's son Isaac. And this is crazy. Guess what they call the agreement? The Abraham Accords. I am not making this up. You can check it out on the United States website link in the show notes. Do not ever doubt that the Bible's relevancy is for our time. What happened thousands of years ago in the Bible is carrying out in a plan of God's today. He has a plan And Israel fighting with their relatives is not in it. Back to our story and remembering what God did for Israel when they had to pass through these three hostile countries, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, starting in chapter 2 with the Edomites who live in the hill country of Seir. Then we turned back and set out toward the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time, we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around the hill country long enough. Now turn north. Give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. So we went on past our relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. We know from the book of Numbers chapter 20 that Edom came against Israel with a large army but never attacked. And Israel went safely around them. So there was somewhat of a face-off, which kind of kicks us back to when Esau and Jacob um, fought, didn't fight, but Jacob returned uh, to their homeland and Esau kind of met him and he was really scared. Now here's the thing we need to remember. Obedience leads to blessing. 
Moses is clearly contrasting what the Israelites were to remember in our last episode in chapter one. In that example, they were to remember that their disobedience in attacking the Amorites led to their defeat. In this example, their obedience led to blessing and protection. Moses also wants them to note that the protection they had from these countries was all God's doing. He did it for them. Now on to Moab. We turn from Arbor Road, which comes up from Elath and Ezon Geber, and traveled along the desert road of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. The Emites used to live there, a people strong and numerous, and as tall as the Anakites. Like the Anakites, they too were considered Rephatites. But the Moabites called them Emites. Horites used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out. They destroyed the Horites from before them and settled in their place, just as Israel did in the land the Lord gave them as their possession. Here and with Amen, Moses gives a little history on the land, and it's a history of conquest. So Israel's like the, just setting it up just that the Israelites aren't the only ones who take over people's lands. And the Lord said, now get up and cross the Zered Valley. So we crossed the valley. 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed Zered Valley. By then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp. As the Lord had sworn to them, the Lord's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. This little aside remembrance marks the official end of Israel's punishment for their rebellion after the 12 spies report at Kadesh Barnea. The first generation is perished. The Israelites pass safely through Moab, which, if, if you've been with us for a while, you'll remember, must have been a little stressful because the last time they faced no Moab, it was super bad. Um, when they went through, the Moabites seduced the men of Israel into sexual immorality and sacrifices to the Moabite gods, and a lot of Israelites suffered and died because of it. You can see the episode um, called Phineas the Killer Priest in season four to catch up on that one. Now we're on to Amon. Verse 16. Now when the last of these fighting men among the people had died, the Lord said to me, today you are to pass by the region of Moab at Er. When you come to the Amorites, do not harass them or provoke them to war, for I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. That too was considered a land of the Rephites, who used to live there, but the Ammonites called them Zazamites. They were among, they were a people strong and numerous, and as tall as the Anakites. The Lord destroyed them from before the Ammonites, who drove them out and settled in their place. The Lord had done the same for the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They drove them out and here lived in their place to this day. And as for the Avites, who lived in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaphorites coming out from Kaftor destroyed them and settled in their place. Yeah, I love the little aside about what the Lord had done um, for the descendants of Esau because there were promises again there and he kept him even though Esau wasn't the chosen one that would carry the line of Christ, Jacob was. Now the point 
that we are still to remember again, and they are too, is obedience leads to blessing. With these three examples of Edom, Moab, and Ammon, God wants Israel to remember what he can do for them to attain the promised land if they would just obey him. In this case, no fighting. You you just pass through. Moses knows that the battles ahead in Canaan will be daunting to the Israelites. And he is reminding them that God controls everything, even their enemies. So don't panic like your parents. Next, Moses wants the Israelites to remember what God can do with them. He recalls for them the first two victorious battles they had where they did have to fight. Verse 24, set out now and cross the Arnon Gorge. So a little pause here to focus on words again. This simple command to set out, Moses had a purpose for putting it here, and it probably brought tears to his eyes. The last time they were commanded by God to set out to conquer Canaan was way back in Numbers 10, when Moses was a much younger man, and when the Israelites left Mount Sinai, they were commanded to set out. It is a joyous command. And they thought they'd just make that two-week trip, but it turned into 38 years. Moses is going to remind them, the second generation, that they too have to set out to claim the promised land, and specifically their first battle victories. These are the victories over the Amorites in the Transjordan, or territory to the east of the Jordan River and promised land that they experienced before. The first was the defeat of Sihon, king of Heshbon. See, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon and his country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. This very day, I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. From the desert of Kadamoth, I sent messengers to Sihon, king of Heshbon, offering peace and saying, let us pass through your country. We will stay on the main road. We will not turn aside to the right or left, sell us food to eat and water to drink for their price in silver. Only let us pass through on foot as the descendants of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for us until we crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through. For the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands, as he has now done. The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his country over to you. Now begin to conquer and possess his land. When Sihon and all his army came out to meet us in battle at Jaws, the Lord our God delivered him over to us and he, we struck him down together with his sons and his whole army. At that time, we took all his towns and completely destroyed them, men, women, and children. We left no survivors, but the livestock and the plunder from the towns we had captured, we carried off for ourselves from Arer on the rim of the Arnon Gorge and from the town in the gorge, even as far as Gilead, not one town was too strong for us. The Lord our God gave us all of them, but in accordance with the command of the Lord our God, you did not encroach on any of the land of the Ammonites, neither the land along the course of the Jabbok, nor around the towns in the hills. So, hey guys, Israel, don't forget, I gave you a victory. 
Chapter 3, Another Victory, Moving On to the Defeat of Og, King of Bashan. Next we turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, King of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle at Idri. The Lord said to me, Do not be afraid of them, for I have delivered him into your hands along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them, the whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars, and there was also great many unwalled villages. We completely destroyed them, as we had done with Sihon, king of Heshbon, destroying every city, men, women, and children. But all the livestock and the plunder from their cities we carried off for ourselves. So at that time, we took from those two kings, the Amorites, the territory east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge as far as Mount Hermon. Hermon is called Siron by the Sidians. The Amorites call it Senir. We took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Salakath and Adri, towns of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephites. His bed was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. There was a lot of discussion in the commentaries about that bed and why they pointed it out. It must have been really impressive. I don't know what it was used for, but well, there maybe you go. maybe when they burned the town, maybe because it was iron, it was like the only thing left. Yeah, huge. Um, so God has given them three examples where He allowed them to pass through safely and peacefully, and He's given two examples where He gave them a victory clearly, and He's telling them, "Remember what God can do with you if you obey." Now, both of these kings, Sihon and Og were Amorite kings. So why were they to defeat them? The Amorites are considered to be Canaanites or descendants from Noah's son, Ham, and his grandson, Canaan. Remember, Abraham, Israel's forefather, descended from Noah's other son, Shem, not Ham. The Canaan line of Noah's descendants were not good guys. In fact, Ham and his son Canaan did something horrible to Noah. For more discussion on that, it's in season one. As a result, Noah cursed Canaan. Then in Genesis 15, God explained to Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. That was Egypt. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. Here we are about a thousand years later. The Israelites have been brought out of Egypt after 400 years, as God said, and it's time to take the land from those Amorites, those descendants of Canaan, the not good guys. The point is that this time the Israelites obeyed and God accomplished his plan with them. Did he need the Israelites to do it? No. Did he want to do this work through them? Yes. 
Did they have to work to get the land? Yes, because of the fall. The result was a lesson to be remembered for the ages. Obedience leads to victory. And I think as he's also reminding them that obedience leads to victory at the end of both of those stories, if you remember, he said, and we also got to keep all the livestock. Yeah. And he's reminding them that because as we're going to see, sometimes he's going to tell them in this particular town, don't take anything and that they need to remember that there's a reason when God's telling them to or not to do something. Sometimes they're going to get to keep stuff and sometimes they won't. Exactly. The lesson for us still applies today. Remember that God can do great things for you without you lifting a finger. And remember that God can do great things with you, working by your side. But He has a contingency, and it is our obedience. If we love and obey Him, the result will be blessings for us and all of God's people and victory over whatever enemy plagues us. Next, Moses wants them to remember how God gave you the land. The Transjordan land taken from the two Amorite kings, and that's because it's on the wrong side of the Jordan versus the promised land, is the only land that has been dispersed at this point. Moses reminds them of this gift given to these two and a half tribes. Verse 12. Of the land that we took over at that time, I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory north of Arir by the Arnon Gorge, including half the hill country of Gilead, together with its towns. The rest of Gilead and also all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. The whole region of Argob in Bashan used to be known as the land of the Rephites. Jair, a descendant of Manasseh, took the whole region of Argob as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites. It was named after him, so that to this day, Bashan is called Havath Jer. And I gave Gilead to Machir, but to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave the territory extending from Gilead down to the Arnon Gorge, the middle of the gorge being the border, and out to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. Its western border was the Jordan in the Arba, from Kinnereth to the Sea of Arabah. That is the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. I commanded you at that time, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it. But all your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of the other Israelites. However, your wives, your children, and your livestock, I know you have much livestock, may stay in the towns I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your fellow Israelites as he has to you. And they too have taken over the land that the Lord your God is giving them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possession I have given you. So even though it wasn't the promised land, and Moses was actually at the time kind of frustrated with them that they wanted to settle outside the the land that God had set for them. In Numbers 32, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh requested the land. And this is God. Sometimes he grants our requests and sometimes he doesn't. So he gave it to them. As long as they committed to continue to fight with the other tribes for the promised land before they returned to the land that he had given them. And we know well into the future, it it didn't really work out that well for them to be on the wrong side of the Jordan, but that's coming in books to come. One last 
thing that Moses wants the Israelites to remember. And that says to obey even when you don't like it. Verse 21. At that time, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Now, this is a little side. This is really not part of this remember. But to me, I see so much more in the relationship between Moses and Joshua than just Moses walking up to him and commanding him. I'm sure he did command because the people needed to hear the command. But I also imagine there were a lot of conversations in these last 30 days of his life. There is a soft side to Moses, I believe, and certainly there is for Joshua. Joshua has been his faithful aide since Exodus 17. I imagine that Moses worried about him because this is not easy leading these people. And Moses could only just begin to imagine what was to come fighting the Canaanites. I imagine many conversations of encouragement and teaching as Moses did his best to prepare this younger man to lead the rebellion-prone herd of two million people into the promised land. In this verse, Moses reminded Joshua of these two victories because there's so many more battles to come for him. Moses wanted to remind him, do not be afraid. You're going to have to be fearless because the people are going to be looking at you. Then probably with a pang in his heart because he feared for Joshua and the mistakes he could potentially make, Moses in these next verses is going to remind him how he pleaded with God to go with them to the promised land and that he couldn't because of his own mistake. In other words, Joshua, I feel so bad I can't go with you. But remember, it's because of a mistake I made. Don't do the same. I imagine conversations where Joshua was so overwhelmed by the enormity of leading millions of people and having to fight unknown enemies at the same time that he said over and over to Moses, how am I going to do this? And Moses empathizing as only he could because he had been their only other leader would lament, I wish I could go with you, Joshua. I'm so sorry. I will not be there to help. I sinned, and now my sin has affected you too. Learn from my mistake. So Moses asks God just one more time, and he reminds Joshua of this. Verse 23, At that time I pleaded with the Lord, Sovereign Lord, you've begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and the mighty works you do. Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land you will see." So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. Note the opening sentence in this section and how Moses addressed God. I pleaded with the Lord, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. 
One reason God was able to use Moses in so many miraculous ways is because Moses had a right relationship with God. Moses understood that God was sovereign, a king, a supreme ruler, and that Moses was merely a servant of God. God was way up at the top, and Moses humbly pictured himself near the bottom. To the Israelites, of course, Moses seemed much higher than the bottom. And therefore, Moses is going to use himself as an example to encourage and exhort them. Moses, humble Moses, wants the Israelites to remember that even he suffered from disobedience. And that while there were times when Moses took requests to the Lord and the Lord acquiesced, especially when Moses went to the Lord on behalf of the Israelites' sin and intervened on their behalf in lessening their consequences, there were also times when Moses was unable to move God and had to accept God's will. This was one of those times Moses would never step foot in the promised land. He had to accept God's will. If you haven't been on this journey through the Bible with us since the beginning— and you're curious about Moses' big mistake, listen to season four in Numbers and episode 10. What lesson for us is there in remembering God's refusal to Moses? There are many. Remember that even the most faithful people make mistakes. Remember that disobedience has consequences no matter how faithful you are. Remember to accept the consequences of your disobedience. Remember to obey God even when you don't like it. That's the end of Moses' historical review and encouragement to the Israelites to remember. In the next episode, Moses is going to become even more passionate as he ends the first of his three speeches in Deuteronomy. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club! New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.